Hello, welcome to the 38th British Football Coaches Network episode of a Developing Your Football World podcast. I'm Matt Ward and James McLoon is here with me today. Uh, he's back from his adventures from the last episode. Uh, I'm sure you can tell us about it, James. What, what happened, mate? Uh, from uh, the last episode, I really do apologise that I wasn't able to make it. I was, uh, had a game in the morning. With our team, just a friendly kind of tune-up game. We hadn't, had a, we hadn't played for a while over the Christmas period. And the team we were playing decided to turn up 90 minutes late for the game. Um, and as you said, Matt, it was really, really nice of them to make it a full 90 minutes. Um, what it did mean was that I wasn't able to make the pod. Um, and yeah, it was uh, not a great morning. We did win the game, which was good. And got to basically play, do a full training session followed by a game. So, you know, all worked out well in the end. Yeah, when, when, you, when you did message me, I did enjoy the fact they actually let the game run out the full 90 minutes uh, before turning up. Yeah. I thought that was really thoughtful of them. Yeah, me too. It was, uh, and there was no real apology either. It was just like, oh, yeah, we're, um, there was traffic. I was like, yeah, there tends to be traffic in the morning <laughs> at rush hour. Uh, okay. And I had the cheek to ask where their lunch was afterwards. And, and egg, egg sandwich, <laughs> bowl of noodles. And just before we introduce uh, our, our guest, mate, uh, you, you've been coaching lately. Just let all the listeners know uh, the quality of teams you've just been coaching against. How, how did you get on? So we, we played yesterday uh, against a V-League 2 club uh, called Anjiang FC. This is with the African team Vietnam that you'll see in the background. I'll just duck down so I can bring them in. Beautiful, lovely looking lot with me on the end. Nice. Uh, we played against Ang Jang yesterday, who were um, second division in, in Vietnam. And we beat them 2-0. Uh, good game. Um, had a bit of problems with uh, defensive line in the first half. Nearly giving me a bit of a heart attack, but it was a new back four. So, work in progress. And the caveat is that they played Ho Chi Minh, who were... Uh, playing in the AFC Champions League last year, on the AFC Cup last year, uh, on the Saturday. And Ho Chi Minh only beat them 1-0. So now we, uh, we're waiting for the call for the, the game to see who is the best team in Ho Chi Minh City. Well, be you guys should be promoted straight to the V-League, I think. I mean, if we go... Yeah, technically, and, and Champions League, I would suggest. But, um, you know, there might be a bit of red tape in the way. But, you know, we can always, we can always ask. And uh, yeah, someone told me once that if you don't ask, you don't get. So if anyone's listening, we would like to play in the AFC Champions League in the new season. Uh, we're fully available and we can clear our schedules. <laughs> I, I agree, mate. Good, good to hear as well. Good to have you on. And uh, today, James and I are joined by the globe-trotting Darren Wilshire, who's done a bit of football in Uruguay, India, Morocco, just to name a few places. And he's also the co-founder of Estudiantes <coughs> FC in London. Darren, thank you for joining us, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome to have you with us. I can't wait to chat. How you been doing, considering? Yeah, thanks a lot for the opportunity, Matt. James, great to meet you as well. Um, yeah, all good, Matt. Obviously, we are just going through before. Um, obviously, fairly challenging times for everyone at the moment. Um, this new variant's causing quite a lot of problems in London, at least. Um, but, yeah, getting on with things and, you know, myself, my family, uh, my friends are all okay. So, hopefully... Uh, this part can pass as quickly as possible. Good stuff, good stuff. And uh, just just touching just touching on that, uh, 
London living. Are, are you are you able to uh, continue working yourself? I, I believe you're working at a, at a college. Yeah, I work in a sixth form college in Tottenham. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm coming into the college every day. To be honest, um, sort of oversee some students, vulnerable students who are coming into college still, like the children key workers. But mate, also for me personally, it helps me with my routine to be doing something. So I do sort of appreciate that opportunity actually to come into work because obviously, you know, just being at home all day is fairly challenging. So I'm kind of thankful to be in a job where I can come out and have the opportunity to kind of leave the house and get on with things. Um, but there's no coaching. So there's no sports going on in the college. So it's obviously fairly quiet time, but maybe it's a good time to do some planning and uh, trying to sort of use that time productively. Good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, I'm going to open up the kind of chat with something I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, what was he doing in Uruguay? What, what, um, what yeah, so basically I, I spent about 10 years working for Opta. So I left college, done my A-levels and went to Opta. I was there for 10 years. And then every summer, we'd, obviously there wasn't always a lot of football unless it's a Euros or World Cup. But in general, we'd get the summer off. So I used to go travelling and went quite a lot to South America. I was quite interested in obviously like football culture over there and yeah, just kind of liked the place, went there once and really liked it and kept going back. And then sort of after a few years of sort of trying to make it um, into professional football and failing fairly miserably at times. Um, yeah, just sort of decided that it was time to sort of take a break from just the, like the on, ongoing sort of grind of like playing semi-pro or sort of Ryman League football. And then, yeah, just went out there and tried to, you know, do the best I could to try and progress with my football out there. And very much in those days, it was as a player, although I did, it did end up leading to coaching out there. But initially, it was a player, went to Argentina initially and just was playing sort of futsal and some local football there and then got an opportunity to go to Uruguay. Uh, managed to make contact sort of probably 20 years ago now, but through the internet, emailing people, got a reply from someone who had a club and then went there, done a pre-season, played some games, but um, didn't ever like actually sign on because there was some issue with I needed to pay a bit of a fee to take part, so uh, to play for them. So, so uh, <laughs> that, that, that's brilliant, and and we'll we'll go on to the the opto work uh, after. So, when when you was playing over there, Argentina and and Uruguay, what how how was it? How how comparable was it to? Look, I'm not going to say to the Premier League, but kind of the levels you were playing compared to the levels you were playing in England. What were there any things what stood out about them technically yeah. or aggressive-wise yeah. or anything? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was fairly aggressive, to be honest, at times. I was quite, obviously, especially sort of being brought up with English football, it is fairly aggressive, isn't it? You know, especially the lower down you go. Um, but in, in sort of South America, I found it is, you know, a step up from that. Like even friendly games, sort of local games will get like fairly aggressive pretty quickly. And in Argentina, especially, there wasn't all much, uh, so much sort of uh, patience with an English guy over there. So, um, but yeah, incredibly aggressive, but also like, in terms of the style of play, um, I know actually now, it, actually they're saying it's, it's a little bit more direct South American football, but certainly in sort of when you're playing training games and things like that, it was sort of passing out from the back. And as a defender, that was a, like a, quite a contrast to what I was used to in England, where as a defender in sort of a low level of football, you you play quite direct, obviously, especially on bad pitches. It is changing now, I think, a little bit. You know, even in the lower levels of like sort of low Ryman League, there is a little bit of football. People are playing on Astros pitches. But in those days, there wasn't. You know, it was clip it into the channel when you get it, basically. 
And so to go to Argentina and in Uruguay and suddenly be sort of asked to try and play out from the back, it was really nice, to be honest. Um, not that I'm technically that gifted. But I just think to have, you know, defenders do want to like try and contribute a little bit sometimes. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was great. It really helped me, to be honest, after like, as I say, four or five years of like the grind of just every Saturday trying to play and trying to make progress to have a change up, meet some new people. It was amazing, to be honest. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, the, the the thing in Uruguay was just, a, it was a case of whether it was me paying some sort of agent fee. I'm not sure. They wanted $500. And at the time, I think I was 21 or something. So it, it was a significant amount of money. Maybe looking back now, I'm in employment in England. It's not that much. And I'd probably look to, I would do it now, obviously, if given the chance. But uh, at that time, decided not to do it. Maybe thought there was a little bit of, you know, where is that money going? So decided against it. That, but yeah, that, in that, general... Does it'll be it'll be a thousand it'll be a thousand pound for you now if you yeah it'll be go up now inflation <laughs> although given the economy out there at the moment, I'm not so I'm not so sure about that it might even be a bit less because I know they're struggling out there a bit but but yeah yeah you might be right the fees might have gone up a bit James James you you you've got a bit of name for yourself for scoring the odd header how how do you think you would fare in in the old Uruguay? Uh well. I haven't spent too much time. I haven't spent any time in South America. I don't believe so. The uh, I'm sure you know as footballers it all develop and all, all, all get on with it. But um, I'm not entirely sure it would be for me potentially. But um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? You never know. I don't fancy um, you know when you say it's more aggressive than the lower leagues in the UK. Jesus, it must have been bad. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. Yeah, they do in sort of pre-season drills. I remember, you know, rather than straight running, you'll be like trying to pull the other guy or push the other guy. And, you know, that was a completely new concept. That's like the opening day of pre-season. You're like trying to pull other people to the floor and push them to try and, like, I guess, build fitness. But it was just a new new thing for me. Obviously, used to sort of straight line running and trying to build fitness that way. So, yeah, it, it, was, it, it was very physical. And I think... Like, it's just an incredible, like, the, I think if you think of Uruguay, there's three million people in Uruguay. Um, I, sort of, I think they've won the World Cup twice, although it was obviously very early on. But uh, in fact, I think they've won it four times because they won the Olympics twice, I think, which was considered the World Cup. But you think of a three million, like, it's the same size as Wales, essentially. So, um, yeah, and it, I think the culture over there, I mean, as far as I know, there's no other significant sport over there. And from a very young age, like this culture of winning. And I think you see that in sort of Luis Suarez and some of the, obviously, the senior players, like, basically do anything it takes to win. And that was that was sort of the culture you experienced over there. Um, but, yeah, it was really interesting to go out there. I'm thankful I did it. Now, you, you mentioned you was uh, doing some work with uh, with Opta and you was a, a lead uh, lead analyst for them. Uh, yeah. How How was that? And... and did it provide any any value for you know coaching later on in in life for the work there? Um, yeah, I mean to be honest, I couldn't believe my luck. Really, I left college and I, I didn't quite get a grade. So I wanted to get to the university I wanted, and then I found this job with Opta, which was basically watching football. Um, when obviously, when you say you're watching football, it, it makes it sound sort of like really good, but at the same time, you are often it's in slow motion and it's like the fine details and. Know, replays over and over again to get the correct details. Opta, especially, certainly back in the day, and I think still sort of pride themselves on you know 100% accuracy. So even after our games, we would then have them checked. Um, 
So to be honest, it was it was amazing um, to just to feel like, you know, I was getting paid to watch football, essentially. All I would say is I'd done it for too long. I stagnated there. You know, I could have, you know, I, I was probably got to the level I got to in five years and I ended up staying another five. And obviously in career development, if you sort of stagnate and you don't learn and you're not taking qualifications, you know, that is it's valuable time you're losing because obviously there's people out there getting degrees and masters and you're just going, okay, well, I've got a, a fairly comfortable job but it wasn't really providing me with anything. I do think back and at that time I was watching, you know, like I think it was something like three, I watched 3,000 games of football over sort of 10 years at like quite an intense level. So I did, I do feel like I had quite a good knowledge of certainly in the top leagues in Europe of all of the players. Think about how I could have maybe used that knowledge uh, because obviously I don't have that knowledge now. I just, I don't really want to watch much football other than Tottenham because it certainly, it was enough football. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of my coaching, I'll be, I'll be honest, I don't really feel it, um, it It really helped particularly. I mean, it's more or less data entry what I was doing and that um, identification of players and what actions they were doing. And I feel, if anything, I'm quite good at maybe uh, individual player, um, you know, what individual players need. And, you know, I, you know, I openly admit maybe as a, as a coach, one of my weaknesses, ironically, is probably like the tactical part of the game in terms of being able to influence play. I haven't had a lot of experience coaching, uh, maybe in the last year or two I've gained some, but certainly when I was out in Asia, I was doing a lot of soccer school work. So when, you know, suddenly you're on a, you know, 11 v 11 pitch with senior players, it is a lot different to coaching under 10s, how to do a step over, for example. So, so, so when you, when you headed abroad, you, you've been to a few countries. Uh, look, I, I mentioned India, Morocco, uh, I think you've been to uh, some more as well. Yep. As yeah, I've been, yeah, been to South Africa. I was in Lesotho. That was a great experience. I spent some time with Kick for Life out there, which is a sort of an academy along the lines of Right to Dream. Well, obviously, no, nothing on that scale, but it's, it's along those lines. That was outstanding. And yeah, so India and probably Morocco have been the two countries I've spent the most time in. And um, yeah, I've been to some other countries as well, as you do with football. Sometimes you have to travel to competition. Like uh, where, where, where else have you been? Just to throw, throw a couple more out. Um, I've spent some time in Mexico as well. And in Peru, I've done some coaching out there. And yeah, South Africa, Morocco. And I've spent some time in Rwanda with Johnny McIntyre. Um, I was only the performance analyst alongside Alex out there. And they've obviously gone on and doing really well with Uganda at the moment. So yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, Matt, I feel incredibly thankful to have had a, like, the opportunity to be involved in football. Like, I think it's, I'm so privileged, like, you know, when I was growing up, if someone had said that like, my whole life is going to be sort of revolve around coaching football or, you know, increasing participation in football, you know, I definitely would have took that. Uh, like, I feel very thankful for it. And I think, you know, I w- obviously there's times in a job where, you know, you obviously have frustrations or concerns or something. But in general, certainly sort of reflecting upon my career, like incredibly thankful to have had the opportunities that I've had uh, just to be involved in football. Like, obviously there's people out there you know, doing up lots of really difficult jobs. So when, when you was out in the, in the performance, um, performance analyst role, that was uh, with a national team, correct? Yeah, Rwanda national team. So that was my only real um, example, uh, char- uh, sort of opportunity to work with elite level football, you know, moving into sort of professional football, like all about the result, couldn't care less about anything else really. Um, and so that was eye opening for me. It's not really where I envisaged myself to be, um, you know, or, and probably, if I'm honest, not where my skill set really lays. You know, I, and maybe I can do some identifications and a little bit of scouting. 
Uh, but I feel probably my passion for football is best in motivating young players to want to play. And, you know, as a performance analyst, it, it's got no relevance to enthusiasm for the game. You basically need to identify, you know, as we know, you'd know, obviously, we, we need to identify moments of the game that can influence the next game, probably. What, through all of the countries uh, where, where you've done uh, some coaching, yeah. what, what, have there been any main standouts for you in terms of uh, coaching and the responsiveness of players? Or have you, was there a, a country in particular where you came away and thought, you know what, yeah, but I, I love coaching them for a certain reason or for this reason? Yeah, I'll be honest, Matt, I don't know how it is for you, but I think everywhere you work, you know, when you, especially if you're working with young people, you like, you want to help them, you, you know, they're, especially abroad, I think, and also in England, let's be honest, everywhere. Children are polite, you know, they're, they're always respectful. Maybe not always, but in general. But yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, um, I think for me, you know, certainly when I go somewhere, I have such enthusiasm to try to create a, a positive project and make an impact um, that, you know, you put in a hell of a lot of work to providing like a high quality session in terms of preparation, equipment, like, you know, whether that means just buying the equipment, if an, if an organisation doesn't have it, just anything to make it good to, um, to perform well. And I think that, you know, because you're, you, I think people, parents, even young players see that, that you care, that you're really trying to help them. And so in the end, you sort of like, you know, you enjoy it. I, you know, I don't know many coaches who kind of, um, say they're not enjoying it. You know, you do really, once you're out on the, you're basically out there on, on a football pitch and if you don't enjoy it, you, you might as well stop. We're going to do something else. I mean, because, you know, there's loads of jobs out there if you don't enjoy being on a football pitch. For me, sometimes after college here, we have our sort of little sort of academy-ish type of thing. You know, some 20 or so kids go out and play football. I join in, you know, I referee. It's brilliant. Like, you know, that's, and I'm getting paid to do it. I feel very thankful for that. I'll try not to lose sight of that. Thinking like all the stuff that you've gone through, that's a heck of a lot of football ex experience. I know he's saying you're only watching football games, but that's 3,000 odd football games. And I think you touched on it, like the talent identification aspects of that. I can yeah. pretty sure that, that that will have become um, maybe um, a subliminal effect of what you did with watching all those football games, even yeah. though you might not have noticed it at the time. When, like, so obviously in terms of now you're in the, in the college, you've done all the, you've done all the analysis aspect and you, you gain that experience and then you've been around, you've done all the soccer schools. When did you find time to do any of like the formal coaching um, badges and things and, and when and where did you do it? Because that's yeah. a lot of, you've been, you've named about 10 different countries there. And they're not like some of them aren't even in the same region. You've like you've hit the globe. You've gone like, yeah. like your, um, your, your shotgun out and, and, and sawn it off and just gone poof. Yeah, so that's similar to the amount of yeah that that aligns with the emails I sent out when I was looking for work. To be honest, it was a bit of a shotgun approach, and you know if I look through now, you know the sort of the amount of emails you send out trying to um, to, to find work. And I know Matt, you've mentioned it on in a lot of your podcasts. Like if you want something, you know you've got to put the effort in. And there was a, a guy out in Morocco I worked with called Maz Karim, who's you know he's making lots of progress now with the FA, and I think even now works for FIFA. And, you know, just working with him for six months, seeing how much he used to put in, you know, after a day in a soccer school, he'd go watching the local pro club and trying to make contacts there. And so, yeah, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the coaching badges, um, I went actually a long time without doing a coaching badge. And again, I know Matt from following your work and some of the people sort of involved with British football is um, one of the challenges, I think, is getting your coaching qualifications whilst you're abroad. 
And, you know, I went through a spell there where, um, you know, I was, I was running some, like, especially in India, we created like a quite a big program and like we're going on international tours and you're going, you're not getting really any support. So I definitely sort of understand this, you know, what you're fighting for to try and get the FA to deliver some courses abroad. And I really, I think that's a great thing you're doing because you do feel like, well, hang on, I'm getting like hundreds, if not thousands of coaching hours and it's really difficult to get my next coaching qualification. Uh, with me, James, I took my level two fairly young when I was about 23. In those days, you'd, if you'd play, if you could sort of play a bit, you couldn't, you didn't have to do your level one. So I went straight to level two. Um, um, that was when I was just working at Opta, you know, sort of, I don't know, a few Saturdays spread across a year. And then I, I think I went about eight years without them moving up and trying. And then I took my UA for B after I got back from India. I sort of felt that I'd, Boca Juniors in India is now like quite a well-established uh, football school out there. And it's, you know, I, I like to think I sort of certainly contributed to that success because I was part of that growth initially and they've obviously done really well to sustain it. And now they've actually, you know, they've incorporated like a scholarship model and it's like a really impressive football school now. Uh, and it is an academy now, whereas I, when I was there, it was a soccer school. Um, so anyway, I felt as though I'd got as far as I could with, my coaching there, you know, it was going well and it was good, but I felt I was stagnating a little bit. And I'll be honest, I was missing home. Um, so I came back to England to try and take my UA for B. And I, that is one thing I've mentioned on maybe some other things, maybe some written pieces as well. That adaptation from doing soccer school work to suddenly doing my UA for B was just horrendous, to be honest. I went out, you know, thinking that I was a re went into my UA for B, you know, as a, you know, I guess one of the like a fairly successful youth coach in India, um, not in terms of competitions, but in terms of participation and, and getting people playing and driving profit basically for football schools. And um, went on my UEFA B course and just got ripped to shreds by the tutor. It was a guy called Dennis Mortimer. And I remember on my first, you know, my first sort of day on the course, you know, I, I tried to coach and, you know, I got ripped to shreds. Like I was running across the pitch, like clapping on the floor, ball on, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was a soccer school thing about trying to, you know, get kids to play. But obviously that's not relevant on a, on a UEFA B course, is it? So I went home and like I was telling my dad, like, you know, I was in a bad way, I'll be honest, you know, because I'd put all this thing, I'm going to get a UEFA B licence. And I was like, I'm not going to get a UEFA B licence. <laughs> completely destroyed. And my dad, I remember him, he was like, oh, don't worry, you know, I'm sure the tutor doesn't know anything more about the game than you do. And I said, Dad, it was like Dennis Mortimer. He captain Villa to the European Cup. <laughs> he does. He does know more than me. But my dad would always support me, you know, he'd like back me to the hilt, you know, even if it was against Guardiola. Like, you know, it's still, you're better than him. Like, um, But yeah, so for me, that was the big, one of the big challenges in my sort of like coaching career was getting my UA for me because I had to basically radically change how I coached. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't really enjoy that because I couldn't be myself and I couldn't bring my energy to the game, which was, I think, all, what my, all of my success is based upon. Or not success in terms of winning trophies, Matt, but in terms of like trying to get kids to want to play the game. Suddenly I'm standing still with a clipboard and I'm like, you know, this isn't me. Hey, Dar Darren, I, I really agree with what you said there. Like, I, That's one issue I have on, on courses or generally being in a room with a lot of different people. I feel like, there's a lot of sheep around. Uh, everyone's just there, not, I say ticking the boxes, but in terms of personality, it's almost a lot of people have their their, their personality transplanted and taken out. And that's what you got to do just to get by. 
and everything yeah. is very bland. Everything is okay unless you go yeah. out to the bar after with everyone or, or what, whatever. But yeah, I, I feel like you can't be yourself if you are of a certain type of personality or character. And I can imagine how difficult it was, and also the the kind of a the, the shock as well. And yeah, it's a shock, man. Yeah, because you think you're a good coach, you see. You know, yeah. you're doing well. Where you know your players, where you're coaching. They like you. Know, the, the owner likes you. The parents think you're doing a great job because you care about their children. And suddenly you go from thinking you're a good high, you know, you're a coach going somewhere to suddenly being told that, you know, because you don't know how to correct someone's body movement on the fast or body position on the far side as a fullback, you know, that you're a crap football coach. Um, but I must say, though, Matt, I do want to say that there were tutors on my, just to, there were some tutors on my UEFA B who were very supportive. And yeah. I've named, uh, uh, Andy Paul, who was really good because, he, you know, he saw the human side of me, like going, well, I'm trying my best here. You know, I'm not, I don't, that was the thing I think a lot of us talked about on the course was, I don't think anyone's going on, because I'll be honest, I wasn't the only one. A lot of people left after that first day. Um, and you're not going on your UA. <laughs> didn't they come back? Or <laughs> No, I didn't come back. Uh, some of, yeah, end off. It, yeah, yeah it's, it's brutal. Like, literally brutal. Like, and, you know, humiliating. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, what I would say is, you know, there is an element and when you're moving into pro football, it is about the fine details yeah. and there is a way to do it, I guess. Uh, but for me, it, you need to see the human side of it, you know, because, you know, when I was in India and you're doing some coach education and you're working with, kid, you know, some younger guys who are, you know, they're not even level one coaches, you know, they're not trying to be bad, are they? You know, like I'm not on my UEFA B trying to make an idiot myself. I'm trying my best. Um, but, it, you know, that is, I, I, at the end of the day, Dennis has been, you know, at that incredibly high level. And, you know, he's used to an environment where it's a, like a professional football environment. So if you tell someone you're crap, then that's just, that's, that's how it is. Um, so, yeah, it was that, that was a challenge. I was going to say, my next question was, did all your different experiences help you coming back to the UK? Well, you've answered that one. Bang on the nail. The experiences yeah. in India and so forth didn't really assist you in your A for B. Not in your A for B, but in other ways, certainly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what I would say is that to coaches listening in, and there will be young coaches who are thinking about going on and doing a UA for B and so on and so forth. Your experience is that some people didn't come back, but you did manage to go back and you went, right, I'm just going to suck it up, even if Dennis is right or wrong. Um, because I would suggest, you know, no offence to Dennis, if you're listening in, he might have reflected on that and now think about the fact that, you know, hammering people on a coaching course maybe isn't the best way to get it out of them. And maybe that was just his, his personal own life experiences. Obviously, yeah. as you say, Dennis knows a lot about football. Um, it was a, was a good footballer, a good football coach, but models probably have changed in, in, in you know, the years gone by. And just don't be scared of going on the courses. And if you uh, definitely not, on, James. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, I would certainly wouldn't want to put anyone off in terms of, you know, if they, if they are, you know, working with children. And by all accounts, the, that's the system, I guess, because of incidences like that, and maybe people dropping out of courses and I guess writing some letters afterwards. Um, you know, the system's completely changed now. UEFA B is done at club level. So they come into your club, they see you coaching with, because automatically, you know, that's not a natural environment where you're suddenly trying to get some adults to run around. You know, it's just, 
the other coaches, I mean, obviously, because that's how yeah. coach education is traditionally but it, done. But equally, as a coach, as you're moving into senior football, you're absolutely right. You do have to be aware that, you know, it isn't, it is a little bit like that. If you want to be a success in senior football, there is going to yeah. be a bit of you're right, you're wrong, get it right, or get get lost. Or yeah. and and you know, it is yeah, football absolutely is quite, as you said, a highly competitive game. So yeah, just you know, everybody take it. And I think you 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 described it fantastically. There was other people there that were able to to kind of humanize it as you said i think you said humanize it and see that yeah inside. yeah i think so yeah just like it's like yeah because i think that you know you you just have to be aware and i think that you know especially when we you know if we sometimes we go abroad and i'm definitely one that was given opportunities you know probably beyond where i i wouldn't have been able to get those opportunities in england nowhere near it um to do it for example coach education so and i yeah, i just think that um it's you, obviously you need to think about the person, you know, you can't just, uh, but again, as we say, if, if someone's come from that extremely high level of football, where it is a bit cutthroat or not even a bit cutthroat, completely cutthroat. If you can't do it, you know, it's, it's simple. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you, again, there's no, my dad's wrong on that one. You know, he does know about football. Sadly. <laughs> good old, good old, good old dads. You got to, you got yeah. to, and, and mums as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, that, that brings me back to, to when I went on my, uh, B license. Uh, I I just won a, a league title in Taiwan as a coach, as head coach, and just got promoted to the top tier wow. in the country. No one told me what to do, rightly or wrongly. Like I was like, I was I was the big dog, right? And everything I said go, which is probably yeah. a negative, which isn't a a good thing. And I found True. that out when I went onto the when I went onto the course. And I'm like, what? They just They've just slated something I've done or they've just disagreed with me. And I found yeah. it really difficult because yeah, for the yeah. last three years, I've I've been I've been the boss of everything. Like top I'm, man. Yeah. yeah. So I totally understand. And one more point I wanted to bring up on that is comfort zone. If you're talking about people going out in the comfort zone, that's what courses are meant to do, right? And that's Ooh. that's what brings us back down to, you know, the level we need to possibly be at to reflect and then consciously choose okay improvements need to be made there i need to develop here and in fact it does make us better better people better coaches definitely i remember the first time joining the military uh unfortunately i was a a a policeman so we got trained with rifles and pistols i'm not from a i'm not from a hillbilly family with with guns or anywhere i mean i'm from england to start with I was never big on cowboys and Indians. No interest really in guns. And the first time I've had to go on the range and and we're, we're pulling apart, wow. pulling apart a gun, cleaning the parts and everything. And then you got to go and you you got to act like some bodyguard and firing and stuff. Out of my comfort zone. The first time I'm doing that massively. And it, yeah. it's how we feel when we go into an environment we're not used to. Massive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with hindsight. Yeah. Just want to stress. Um, you know, James mentioned about the other coaches. By no means am I saying that, like, it was just, you know, and I'll be honest, there's lots of soccer school coaches who aren't, my main attribute is my energy on the pitch as a coach, especially with young young players. And so it was just in the specific circumstances that I had had, where, I'd, like Matt, I'd been running a programme, I hadn't had anyone, the owner had been completely happy with me to let me get on with it because I was driving success for him. So... Um, it was just in those specific circumstances, it was a really difficult adaptation. But then, 
you know, it's the same, you know, in life, you know, you have a setback and then, you know, yeah, you know, you get back on your feet and you go, okay, give up. It's, if you want to give up, it's not the end of the world. But, you know, thankfully I've I managed to get an opportunity to go out to Lesotho and I worked with a higher level of player who needed, um, who needed, or they didn't so much need UA for B or UA for level coaching, but they needed some more precision in their coaching, not just learn step overs. They were kind of like, okay, that's enough. Um, um, so, yeah, that was, and that's one thing that I found very difficult with the whole UA for B sort of course was it, I hear so many people, it's difficult to get an opportunity to coach the players you need to, to take those courses. And, you know, so I had to go, I volunteered in Morocco for six months, not in a soccer school, but in a sort of a local sort of, uh, semi-pro club essentially out there in Tangier and then I spent a year in Lesotho just trying to nice I mean nice. yeah just trying to learn that you know and actually with hindsight that, that is what you need when you coach a team you do need to put your you know your mark on that team and tell them how to play um, but it was just I wasn't used to that so well, but equally, your energy shouldn't be, it is an attribute, something that, you know, should, you know, that of course, within reason, in terms yeah. of it is a little bit different. energy and enthusiasm is what, and is what gets the players going. They don't want to, senior footballers, regardless, they don't want a coach who's just monotone. They want somebody with a little bit of bite, somebody who's going to get after them yeah. when they've done well and haven't done well. And, you know, I, I would have said that energy will, will continue to be an attribute for you. So I disagree with Dennis. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, on that, I've been, when I was in India and the programme was going quite quickly, a guy called Claudio Garcia Lara came out and at the time he was a B licence coach and now he's a pro licence coach. So he's left me, you know, he's left me for dead really. But at the same time he came out and um, uh, that, I'll be honest, I was nervous. You know, I was a level two coach and suddenly I've got someone coming out from Spain to be my assistant. Uh, but thankfully we, you know, we became really good friends. But you know, and, but that was also quite comforting because, you know, he was like really impressed with my, you know, with certain attributes that I have in terms of, you know, my enthusiasm to put on great sessions consistently, like whatever the temperature, for, uh, for example. Um, and so he would, you know, and, uh, you know, there's no, there's no reason to lie about it. Yeah, I'm not, my tactical development of teams isn't a strong point of mine because probably mainly because I haven't practiced it. Um so, yeah, I mean, I've been fairly comforted over the time when, yeah, to hear people like James, you know, where you've coached at a high, high level and you, know, you say that it is, it, is a, it is a quality of coaches. And I think that over time you do hear a lot about like the intensity in training sessions, like across the board now, don't you? Like everyone says like high intensity football. And I think that um, obviously being, being a slightly energetic coach, it is, it is, it's fairly helpful towards that. Of course, if you can motive, ideally, you'd motivate your players with being able to maybe put in a rule rather than to consistently need to maybe, you know, be in the in the practice yourself. If you can maybe put some rules in or motivate the players, I think that that's probably where I could develop further as a coach. D Darren, yeah, that, I think that reflection. Sorry, go ahead. no, no, you you go, mate, you go. I was just going to say, I think that reflection quality in a coach, coach. I think we spoke about it a lot. As long as you can reflect and you know where you, you know where you, you can improve on that, it's it's so important. Um, experience is one thing, courses are one thing. But knowing your strengths and weaknesses and always looking to work upon them—that's the key to it, regardless of whether with a course or with experience. So yeah, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. That, Darren, I was just going to go back to uh, something you mentioned about the Boca Juniors Academy in India. It sounded like. 
it's quite unique in a way that it isn't just one of them blast over night things where they come in, they try and make some cash and then they're out. It sounds like they've actually built, developed it and, you know, they're, they're there to stay and, and they've made it, as you said, into a proper academy now, not just a school, a business, uh, so to speak. Now it's yeah. an academy. What, how, is, is that, is that how it's happened? Has it basically been turned into a, you know, a, a respectful uh, an academy as opposed to just yeah. a, a babysitting place? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, I've, it's something I wanted to kind of touch on because I think that one of the things, I've spent a lot of the time working in sort of private schools in, you know, in Asia and in, in North Africa. And I think that there's um, there's actually like a bit of a moral issue with sort of selling dreams. And like, and you know, I'll be honest, I feel, uh, you know, I did, you know, at times when I'm reflecting upon that time that I've had, I've written things on LinkedIn about, you know, soccer schools need to reflect on more what they're offering rather than, you know, just selling a dream to some kids. Because, you know, I've, I've seen situations where parents have paid huge amounts of money for their children to have certain opportunities. And then when they don't become a professional footballer, like what's the long-term effects of that? Um, and, you know, and then I'm, I've been one to be like trying to help the kid recover from that in terms of trying to, you know, make the best of a, basically a, a situation where he hasn't gone on to become a professional footballer. So I think that like there's quite a um, there's certainly like a conversation to be had about like the morals of what soccer schools are doing. But I do think that they offer a place, but I just think it needs to be very much, you know, very much stated that this isn't going to make you a professional footballer. You know, we're going to provide an outstanding place for your child to play football and it shouldn't come with like, you know, you know, this idea that you're going to get a professional contract in Europe, in my opinion, maybe that, you know, I know that James has got a big, um, you know, football academy yourself. And so obviously you'd know more about it than me. But at the same time, you know, I do feel quite strongly about that. And even yesterday, I was really disappointed because Stockport County, of, uh, sorry, no, Macclesfield, actually, they've just been having some financial problems and they've got into a partnership with Robbie Savage. And I... Not, I wasn't a big fan of Robbie Savage as a footballer, but I kind of like him. He like holds the government to account in terms of like what they're providing for people and sport and things like that. But he's they've just he's publicising a residential academy, like a football pro football experience in Macclesfield this summer for eight thousand pounds for six weeks. And like I know I don't know who he's targeting, whether he's targeting millionaires or whoever he's targeting. And I know people have to make money, and we live in a capitalist world. But I just worry about the kid from Asia who's been sent there and then doesn't become a professional footballer because people are bankrupting themselves. And so, you know, I, I do think about that quite a lot. But also, I always try and understand that I've taken that money. Like I've taken the dollars from these soccer schools. So I can't be in like just, you know, say, you know, they don't work or it's immoral or something. It's not immoral, but I just think it needs to be always just being honest about what we're providing here. Um, uh, in, sorry, Matt, in terms of Bo uh, Boca, um, went out there. That was a little bit of a rant on uh, football school. Good rant, good rant. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's just something I think a lot about, James. Um, and, and in terms of Boca, I think, you know, Sananda Das, who's the sort of the owner, that's more of an academy. Sananda has now seen how amazing it is to be able to provide this great opportunity. And even you. I think on Sunday, their first ever player played in the I-League, um, wow. Indian Arrows. So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously, you know, it's one, it's one boy, but at the same time, there'll be more. 
because now they've, you know, they're considered to be one of the best academies in India and they're offering scholarships. They've got a full-time residential program. And I think it's grown from, so I would say that's about as good as an example as it can get of what a soccer school can become because now they've basically become an academy, um, which is obviously great because it's offering high level coaching to, to boys out in India. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was about it really, Matt. Otherwise I'll babble on today. I think, um, uh, Darren, you've made some excellent points there. And I think the, the key word would be transparency. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You've got to be clear with the parents and, and don't sell them on a dream that doesn't exist. Be honest. So if you've got a good player and as we know, if you've got 500 kids, you've probably got within that, you've probably maybe got five, six, maybe more, depending on where you are, that you might go, yeah, with the right development, with the right coaching, with the right growth, they may have an opportunity. Um, Absolutely. And the rest, as you say, as you say, is going to be providing a fantastic place to play football and be, a, I think the word that soccer schools and academies should use is be a lifelong participant. Yeah. Because that's what we really want to give. We want to give them a skill that they're going to be able to use the rest of their life to, in socially, to be able to, to keep fit physically and have that <clears throat> confidence to be able to play well at, at at whatever level they're suitable to play at. Definitely, um, yeah. Yes, there, there are a lot of academies out there who ethically, morally, probably don't do that. And, you know, that is that is an issue. And I think £8,000 for a residential... For six you know, weeks, yeah. ...flights on top, that, that's, you know, that's not... You know, that's taking a little bit of the mick. Yeah. We did... Um, we do camps and we do that. We do... We haven't done them last year and we probably we won't be doing them this year and we do them to Europe and it's, it's like $1,500 yeah. and that's for two weeks. Yeah. And, you know, that shows the markup that they're making on that. And yes. You know, I think if it's fairly comparable to what a, like a normal sort of holiday would cost or an education trip, you know, yeah. um, I think, you know, there's, there's no harm in that. And in fact, that can be one of the probably the best. I went on a trip to America when I was young. You know, it was one something I reflect back on. It was incredible. Um, and so for... And, but I must also say it's really worth noting that this issue with like the commercialization of football, it's not only in Asia. I mean, it's I could point at a, a few different projects um, in London that are doing a similar sort of thing about, you know, it's trying to find that moral line. Um, like I'm trying to keep, obviously, everyone's got to make money and everyone's got to. But I just think the problem is, guys, is where you're involving like kids' minds and what it's doing to them when they don't make it as a professional footballer. Um, it, and it, so, yeah, it's sim yeah, I think it's similar to the the idea we've had the conversation on the pod again with others about players dropping out of academies who've been there since they were seven years old. Yeah, they've been told absolutely from seven through to sixteen, seven through to eighteen, you're going to be a pro. You're going to be a pro when the club really knows that in that group, yes, you will play in the academy, you will play for. It's probably one or two players that are actually going to make it pro, and they've probably got a squad of twenty odd. Definitely. I think, you know, the, the honesty, the, the moral ground, I think, yeah, there definitely needs to be an improvement throughout or across the board. And yeah, don't sell dreams and that you can't back up. Just say, look, you might, if you're good enough, you'll get there. If not, we'll help you be a better footballer. We might be able to provide opportunities in terms of education, further education yeah. in terms of going on scholarship. Just, yeah, be honest. Don't, don't lie. And I think that yeah. goes throughout life, but I don't <laughs> think sometimes sports Just doesn't don't get lie. It. Sometimes, sometimes don't, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. I think one of my friends uses the phrase, don't be a dick. Um, and I think that's, um, that's good advice for anyone. But yeah, 
yeah, it's, it's you know, I think it's sports and football could do could do a better job at it. And- I was just going to say, I think one of the, you know, I was just thinking about what Matt's doing with British football coaches is. Um, I think it's really good uh, because, you know, it is opening up this discussion about things like this. And, you know, that uh, that soccer school, there was one out in Singapore, I think, that wasn't playing the coaches. Um, it just like brings a, an attention to this because I was thinking about, you know, I'll be honest, my career wouldn't have happened if British football coaches had been here. And the reason for that, Matt, is better, better candidates than me would have applied for the jobs because you would have probably put them in touch with the links that I had um, but I'm not saying that's a, that's a great thing because you're enabling people, more people from the UK to go out. But I'm just saying that the um, opportunities that you're sort of providing, you're not only providing good opportunities, you're also telling people, actually, that's not a great opportunity for you. Don't do that uh, because there are some people out there. You know, I think there was a, as I mentioned, there was something in Singapore where some coaches hadn't been paid for some time. And, you know, you're messing with people's lives. They're leaving their families in a different country to go and do this. And then the people are getting messed around. So I think that what you're doing just to enable like a place for British coaches or any coaches, let's be honest, any coaches to come just to find out some information, to share information about maybe the best pathways and, and what opportunities to take. Mate, absolutely. But just before we came on live uh, together today, uh, there's, there's a British coach in a in a country I won't name, he's gone over there and, uh, you know, he's having issues getting getting the correct visa and stuff. And yeah. the people who are responsible for doing it, uh, just, they can't give a straight answer and the, oh yeah, it's on its way. Well, when? Just, just, just out of the truth, right? What are you doing? Yeah. So yeah. What, what, what is wrong with these people? What bring people from a different country or, you know, away from the families, just like you mentioned, and, to try and take advantage of them, like what? What's wrong with people? Not pay the salary, yeah. not offer them what they said that they they're gonna get, even if it's in the contract. Letting someone be in a country without a valid visa, it's it's really poor, really poor. So yeah. uh, that's why I keep checking in, the veins on my head just to check that they're not popping out still. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I think to be honest, you could. I don't obviously, I don't know how, what what goes on with regards to the FA, but realistically, the FA should be working with you, Matt, shouldn't they? Because you're working with a hell of a lot of people across the world now. And there's, you know, there's people getting exploited left, right. You know, a coach is paying money to... Mate, that's a great point. And, you know, you know, not, not just because I'm involved in it, but if anyone else was doing it, I would hope and I would really love that, you know, the, the FA of, of just one, one home nation, you know, said, you know what? You're kind of helping us because you're keeping a lookout as much as you can do for our coaches who aren't working yeah. in England. And yeah. you know what? They're not really that interested uh, because it's it doesn't make money. Yeah. And it's not, they're not really, people aren't interested in people. That, that's the truth. Yeah. If, if, nothing else, yeah. if nothing else, Matt, you're also providing employment for, I know you're not personally providing it, but you're providing an opportunity for them to get it. And that is, pretty invaluable to the like country in it because there ain't enough jobs in England like so or in Britain so you're saying that actually guys there's some opportunities abroad like we're involved or trying to get a studentes involved in a kickstart program yeah where because there's not enough jobs they're going to help us fund someone to to come in and work but you're essentially providing employment or a pathway to employment for a lot of people so yeah I just think that the FA it would be great if the FA could come on board with it but obviously it's it's Maybe more challenging than that. 
what happens then? I mean, uh, uh, Darren, we'll, we'll go on to this quickly now. I mean, you 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 was able to come back from abroad and then get into a role, uh, you know, with, with Spurs and, and their foundation there, which, which is great. And but there are some people which come back and they they fit nicely back into uh, a role in the UK, but there's yeah. many what don't. And again, we we can't go into it too deep because it it, it would take literally hours. But you know. Yeah. The, the, the skills and experiences people are picking up, coaches are picking up from abroad, and they're not being helped to pass it on in England because it's not valid or in, in the UK. Because yeah, it, I mean, not, it yeah. it, it's not. Yeah, not so much even whether, I mean, in terms of passing skills on that, I went from um, leaving uh, Lesotho, where like the Kick for Life have got this amazing programme, like it's absolutely incredible. Like, I love it. It's it's really good. They're trying to get the best boys, give them a great education, and then get them on scholarships out to America uh, or anywhere. To be honest, but in terms of yeah, in terms of coming back to the UK, um, the the experiences that I had abroad, I think were just like incredibly beneficial. And then I managed to get a job with Tottenham Hotspur Foundation, which is you know it's the club. Like my family support, I'm a massive fan. I used to be a season ticket holder. So I think that the whole of the, you know, like the six or seven years I spent abroad, you know, initially from volunteering abroad, then getting paid roles, and then finally to working for an amazing academy in Lesotho, which was like my dream project. Um, managed to get a job with Spurs Foundation. And, um, you know, that was just amazing for two years to be running one of their programmes. So I worked in a sixth form college. Um, that by then I'd managed to build the skills to enable me to get my UEFA B done, which was a really big step for me. And I, you know, I'd be amazed if I ever go on to get a UEFA A license, because as I've mentioned, I don't feel that that is necessarily my own pathway. Um, but yeah, I've built, built the skills and yeah, had a really great couple of years and, um, you know, working for a club like Tottenham in London, it was, there was a lots of benefits The people you meet was, you know some really good people even Richard Horlock I got to work with him a little bit and he's obviously a, you know a seriously talented and intelligent guy so you meet some really top people and have a good experience so yeah it was it was it was it was kind of like a really I feel like my journey was great I'm really thankful for it I went abroad met amazing people um, all over the world had some great experiences didn't really feel like I was working although I probably was working 80 hour weeks but at the same time, it was just so enjoyable. And then when I got back, I managed to get the chance with Tottenham that kind of got me on my feet back in London. So, yeah. That, that, that's, that's smashing, mate. And it, it does show, look, it can be difficult at times to get opportunities once you've been abroad and then moving back to the UK. But people have done it. Uh, Darren, you just explained there you did it and, and in a good role. Look, a, a lot of people get it wrong they see look I just want to work for a, a professional club in their academy and that's it however there's so many decent roles in the foundations or the community programs of said club and look you can go there you can be a, a community coach community coordinator etc it, it doesn't mean every day you're going out and you're passing out packed meals to the community and stuff you, oh. you're still coaching you're still developing football and if anything it gives you more tools i mean look at look at what you're doing now down you're you're a sports development officer and i'm i'm sure you've been doing that kind of role uh for spurs in the community or the spurs, spurs foundation as well so yeah it was huge, yeah huge skill sets for people to take from these community roles foundation roles and at the moment when you're looking at what full-time roles are available 
the, the professional clubs and the academies of the pro clubs are all cutting down the hours to part-time coaches, yeah. zero hours. And it's a foundation and the community work, which are still offering full-time roles. So for sure, don't turn noses up at these opportunities because it can help to build a, a career as well. Not to mention coaches who have gone from working in the community or foundation part and then moved into a professional club as a senior coach of a senior team somewhere. You know, that can happen as well. Just, uh, I think you're absolutely right, Matt. I think any job you get that's in football and you coach in football, you've got to make the most of it, do, do a, a fantastic job at it, and it will be noticed. That's just yeah, how it happens. Absolutely. There and you say, oh, I've got this job. Ah, it's not with a, It's not in the senior team. And, and you, but it's, as I said, it's within Tottenham doing this, and you do a fantastic job at it. People are going to notice, but if you do a half-assed job at it because you think, ah, no one's really watching, it's not that important, that'll be also noticed. So, yeah, hard work, dedication, doing a fantastic job, giving it your, your best will always will always be noticed by somebody, Absolutely. even if it's not somebody within the, the same club. So, yeah, any football role, if you want to be in football, get it done and, and do it well. Yeah. yeah, love it, love it. And, and Darren, just before we finish now, something which, which is still very important, uh, what what are you doing now in terms of uh, uh, you you co-founded a, a a new club? What, what's that? Yeah, like? more or less. Yeah, alongside yeah, my, alongside my best mate Marcus, we set up um, a Studiantes over the summer, and that was we've been running it for two or three years, and then you know just as a local football club uh, and futsal club as well, actually, because I've been involved in futsal a bit in London. Um, Basically, you know, I, I was working for the foundation based in a Haringey Sixth Form College and then now I'm just working in Haringey Sixth Form College. Um, had the opportunity to come and work sort of directly for the college and that kind of suited me in terms of being able to take the project where I wanted. Um, and so, yeah, really, um, you know, it's not an elite level one academy. Like, and it, it's unlikely to become that. It's certainly in the short term, but hopefully it's an impactful program for about 20 boys. You know, we provide them with all sorts in terms of like, uh, opportunities to go into university, training courses. A lot of them are level one coaches. So we try to help them find employment opportunities. And it's something I'm really passionate about. And, you know, in my own small way, it's sort of like a very, very small version of what I saw with Kick for Life in Lesotho and Right to Dream in Ghana. I had the chance to go and see Right to Dream in Ghana and like, I just found it the most inspiring place. So I'm trying to do that, but obviously, you know, fairly limited budgets and like, you know, access to football pitches is, is difficult and things like that. So there are some challenges, but I, I really enjoy it, especially the fact that I'm, you know, running it with my friend and, you know, we work together and sort of bounce off one another and take the project where we want it. So yeah, really thankful for it. Still working in, in, in sport and, and mainly football and um, yeah, just sort of fairly settled for once. Cause often I've been, you know, one year somewhere and then somewhere else, um, but, uh, but, yeah, fairly settled here now. So hopefully just trying to make an impact with this programme. And I'm sure it will because it already it's so inspiring. You can see how passionate you are uh, about what you're doing, whether it be uh, your, your sport development work uh, at the college, whether it be the coaching. You, I, I can start to envision what you've been explaining now in your past roles abroad. And uh, I think all the projects you, you're running and the future ones you're going to be maintaining – Every, everyone's really lucky to have yourself, someone with that passion and energy behind it because it is genuine. I can feel that. Yeah. You you must be just really happy and really satisfied with the, the position you're in now. You, you're basically doing everything that you love doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, you know, I must be honest and say, obviously, living in London is not cheap. And so there are, you know, hopefully in time, that's what I'm completing my degree at the moment with Open University to maybe enable, must enable uh, me the opportunity to maybe get some teaching work as well um, to enable me to have a maybe a not only focus just on coaching, because I'm very much aware the older you get, that isn't always a guarantee. Um, to, and move, to be able to and move and move up north to Watford. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, possibly, maybe a touch north. No, but it, um, but yeah, just trying. Very thankful to the for the like opportunities that I've had, and um, yeah, that's one thing. When you were saying about the passion, I feel that you know nearly all of the roles, you know, uh, going for some different jobs throughout the years is you know, try to show the people that you're, when you're going for that job, that you have got that passion for it. And even if that means preparing a document for an interview, um, Kick for Life, for example, I had the original interview. I was so taken by what their project was. I spent like a day planning sessions and, and you know, the year and everything like that before even getting like a, the, even a, any mention that I'd actually get the job. Um, so, yeah, I think the passion, you know, you've got to find that and, it work. I mean, you can't find it. If you've got it, you've got it. If you haven't, you haven't. But if you've got it, show people. Don't be afraid to maybe do an extra piece of a, a document for someone to show your abilities to do analysis or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, and that's that's all. all good. Real inspirational story. Uh, loads of experience in there. And yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And look out for, Uston, how do we say Ustenades? Ah, Ustenades. Studiantes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're coming. Yeah, exactly. Udinese. Yeah. Udinese. Oh, no, yeah. Maybe in the future. Estudiantes. Yeah. Have you got a Facebook page? Yeah, so estudiantes.co. We've got estudiantes.co.uk and then that's all linked on there. We are partnered with Estudiantes uh, de la Plata in Argentina. So one that someone I knew from when I was out there, we've managed to partner with them and their president is Juan Verón. And so he's with the English connection. He's been we're taking a bit of an interest in our project. And like, obviously, long term, we hope that maybe take the team out there or something like that. But very much it's to try to drive educational improvements in, in young people rather than creating a footballer. If we create a footballer, wonderful. But that's not the, the main priority at the moment for us. Yeah, fantastic. What a project. Great. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time. And um, yeah, it's been it's been really good to speak to you. Thanks a lot. And Matt, especially, thanks all for you doing for the, the coaches abroad, mate, because I'll be honest, I was in situations where I definitely could have needed you just to, to ask a few questions about things like contracts and things like that. So I think what you're doing is great. Much appreciated, mate. Thank you very much. Darren, take care. Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. James, really nice to meet you. Good luck with your season. Cheers, guys. Thank you.